0: This is Lance Turner, pastor at Grow Church. We'd like to thank you for joining our podcast. We pray the message today stirs your faith and it causes you to grow. Enjoy the message. Thank you, Lord. So good to see you today. Full house today. It's so awesome. You know what? We have so much to celebrate this morning, don't we? Christ being our living hope. I don't know about you, but I was dead in my trespasses and sins, and Christ resurrected me. Amen? Amen. Anybody glad for that this morning? Hallelujah. Can we just, just, we'll just say a prayer real quick here and get into God's Word. Let's pray a prayer of thanksgiving, and then let's just ask the Holy Spirit to open our hearts. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the cross We also thank you for the empty tomb and what it means for us today. It means life for us. I pray that as we hear your word today, as we dig into the scripture, that you would open our hearts, that as Jesus said, that our hearts would be that soil that would receive the word of God and not just receive it, but it would bear fruit today in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Well, it's good to see you today. If you're here for the first time, welcome. We have a good time around here. We love Jesus in this place. Can I get an amen? Amen. We just love to celebrate what Christ has done, and so it's just an opportunity for us to do that. So thank you for being here today. We're going to just dig into God's Word. We're, We're in a series this whole month called Be Alive, and we're just painting this picture of what it really looks like. To be fully alive in Christ. The key words there. Two words. In Christ. Can you say that with me? In Christ. You can fake being fully alive. But it's not going to last very long without the in Christ part. So this whole month we've been talking about that. The first week Amber did a fantastic job of talking about being fully alive in Christ and having fun. Now I don't know about you. But Christianity can be fun. As a matter of fact, I read the scriptures. It says that laughter is like medicine. There's been studies that have shown that people that laugh are healthier. So I'm here to tell you, Christians can have fun. And the neat thing about it is it's in the context of doing life together. It's in the context of, of relationships in the body of Christ where we can really have fun together. Our grow groups, we have a good time together. We'll plug for our groups there. You can have fun as a Christian. And really, when you think about it, the only way to be fully alive is to be able to have fun. What about your gifting? God has given you a purpose in your call, in your life. There's something that God's gifted you to do. There's purpose. And so being fully alive looks like understanding your purpose and using your gifts and talents to fulfill that purpose with excellence. So if you're a plumber, if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, if you're an executive, whatever you do, if you do it for God's glory with excellence, you're fully alive. Last week, we challenged you to be teachable. And we dove into the idea that a person who's teachable is able to grow. The reason you're able to grow is because you're able to tap into the unlimited resource of wisdom that being in Christ offers. And when God surrounds you with people who have something to say, who can pour into your life, and you listen to them, you grow. And you're fully alive. The opposite of that is pride, where you say, I don't, you can't tell me what to do. I can't learn anything from anybody. And what happens is you begin to regress. So being fully alive looks like being teachable. All this is in the context of relationship. What's the most foundational aspect of, of, a, of a good relationship? It's trust. Trust. Being trustworthy, earning trust, being trustworthy helps your relationships to go to a new level. And so being trustworthy, when you are trustworthy, you're fully alive. So that's basically what we've covered up to this point. And today being Resurrection Sunday, I've got two things I want to present to you today that I think are very foundational in this idea of being fully alive in Christ. The first thing is love. And love is the cornerstone of all of them. It's the cornerstone of being fully alive in Christ. So let's dig into this, this idea of what love is. Now, I I would dare say that most of you have some kind of definition that you would present or you would think of when I say the word love. And many times that definition or that perspective on love has has been influenced by culture. The movies you watch. I know there's some women in here who love Hallmark. My wife loves Hallmark. If you're not careful, you can be sucked in. Now, I'm not saying Hallmark's bad. Those those are some great stories. But if you're not careful, you you let media, you let the things that you listen to and the things that you watch influence your definition of what love looks like. And that can lead you down a wrong path. Anybody remember that song, looking for love in all the wrong places? If you're not careful, you start looking for love in the wrong place. I'm here to tell you, the only way to look for love, the only place to really look for love is in Jesus Christ. Being in Him. And so if you have a wrong view, a wrong perspective of what love is, there's only one way to change that perspective, and that's to go to God's Word. Because the the word of God gives you a really, really clear perspective and picture of what real love looks like. And that's what I wanted to do today. I want to explore this idea of this genuine love that God offers us. So if you're taking notes today, I want to present this to you. First of all, God is the originator, the source, and the initiator of love. He is the one. It was his idea to love. He is love. But here's the thing that you got to understand. You're not the one who pursued him. As a matter of fact, you didn't care anything about him because the Bible describes our relationship with God as being, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. But God loved us enough to be the originator of it, the source of it, and the initiator. Now the initiation of that started in Genesis. The very first book of the Bible, you see God creating man. And here's the neat thing about it. He created us in his own image. That is a, that's a reflection of him. And so his love for us caused him to create us that way. We're created in his image. And then the Bible says that he breathed Life into us, and what happened? We became a living soul. We have the opportunity to have relationship, and so he initiated us by creating us. And then the Bible describes in Genesis chapter 3 that he walked with with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. There was was relationship from the get-go. Guess who started it? Guess who initiated it? He did. Guess who messed it up? We did. Adam and Eve, their disobedience in the garden caused this relationship to be fractured and broken. Guess what? The initiator continued to initiate. You know, you realize he could have left us to our own own way? That would have been bad news for everybody, wouldn't it? And so here's what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4. I want you to go with me. And you'll see this very clearly. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Did I mention he's the originator of love? Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now you need to pay attention to that word know because it's a a crucial word. It's not just a head knowledge of knowing God. It's a heart knowledge. You've experienced the love of God and so you truly know him. And then look here, verse 8, it says, Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. He's the source of love. He's the originator. He's the source. And He's the initiator. Well, pastor, how do you know He's initiated? Well, look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. Look at this. He says, we love. Why? Because He first loved us. That's huge. When you didn't care about Him... When you had no inkling of wanting him, he loved you first. So he's the pursuer in the relationship. Now, I got to thinking about this as I was studying and thinking about my relationship with Lori, my wife. And when I, when I really wanted to, when, when, she, when she captured my heart, and I loved her, I wanted to be with her all the time. I would call her. I would go see her. Why? Because I loved her. What was happening? I was pursuing her. Anybody identify? When you love somebody, you, you have to be around them. You want to be, you can't stand it. It's not, well, you know, I, I didn't say, you know, well, I guess I better call Lori today. Ugh, man. Do I have to? No, I wanted to. And you have to understand, this is how God feels about you. It wasn't. Well, I gotta create them. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna rebel against me. You know, <laughs> I better not. No, I love them. I created you, and then he pursued you. I heard a pastor say uh, just last night. I went to see Garrett at uh, Highlands. He said, "If if God had a picture of you, it'd be on his fridge." That's how God feels about you. He originated it. He's the source of it. And He initiates love for you. But the problem became we were dead in our trespasses. Our sin, our disobedience, it was broken. It was a fractured relationship. And Ephesians tells us, describes it very clearly, the state that we were in. Look at this. As for you... Point to your neighbor. And say you. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Whew, that's a big problem, isn't it? In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest we were ne- by nature deserving of wrath boy we're in trouble seemingly god's holy right doesn't like sin he's holy he can't tolerate it. he can't even be in its presence and so that was what did it it separated us from god but i'm here to tell you because he initiated he wasn't going to leave you in that dead state Why? Because he wants you fully alive in him. So this initiator took it even a step further. And he said, you know what? I think I'm going to clothe myself in human skin. And I'm going to show them what this real love looks like. That's what he did. Think about it for a second. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the same God who spoke the world into existence, put on human skin and walked the earth. Why? Because he's initiating love for you. He wanted to understand you fully. The book of Hebrews tells us that we have a great high priest. That's, what, that's how Christ is described in Hebrews. He's a great high priest who understands everything that you go through. He actually sympathizes with you because he walked through it as a human being. So his great love for you is demonstrated to him. As, as John says in, in chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The word, which is Christ, the word was God, right? It says he became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. In other words, he lived among us, he tabernacled himself with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, a foreshadow of what was about to happen. Anybody thankful for grace this morning? So God's love drove him to come and put on human skin so he could initiate and restore a broken fellowship and broken relationship. As a matter of fact, the scripture goes on to tell us that he was so motivated by love for you that he was willing to to take the penalty of your sin upon himself. Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this way. He says, God made him, who's him? Jesus. To be sin for who? For us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God I love that trade-off don't you I'm dead in my trespasses I'm on my way to hell and all of a sudden God says I'll take your sin upon myself and I'll give you my righteousness you realize what righteousness does for you right it puts you in right standing with God now you can come to him without any kind of hesitation you can come to him as a as a son or a daughter goes to a daddy right and so God said, I'll bear your sin, the heavy weight of it, on myself. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 gives us another clear picture of what love looks like. This is how God showed his love. So this isn't just lip service, right? How many of you hate people that, that just do lip service? They say something, they don't follow through with it. That's not our God, Amen. No, he said, I'm going to show you. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might... Say it out loud. Does God want you fully alive? So we might live through him. There it is again. It doesn't say in Christ, but the principles there, through Christ, in Christ we live. We live. It's clear, isn't it? Look at this one. This is love. Not that we love God. Remember, you're dead. Dead people don't love. Dead people can't move. Dead people can't pursue, can they? And so this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. One translation says propitiation. Now that sounds like a pretty big word, doesn't it? I had to look it up. Basically, he says the sin of the sins of man, the, the, the sentence for the sins of man, Christ said, I'll bear it. I'll take the sentence for you. That's good news. Think about this for a second. Let's say you're, you're in a courtroom and you're, you're, you're guilty, you've been found guilty. The, the evidence is overwhelming, and the judge is about to take your sentence. The victim comes and says, I'll take the sentence for you. That's what Christ did for you. And can you imagine when he's hanging there on the cross and you know this, you've read that before where it says, Jesus says it in one spot, he says, my God my God, why have you forsaken me? What was happening in that moment? He was feeling the full weight of your sins and mine on himself. Listen, the nails were painful. Yes, they were. The crown of thorns was painful. The beating was painful. But I'm telling you, it it had nothing to compare than the weight of your sins and mine on his shoulders. It was heavy. And he felt it. Why did he do that? He loved you. He pursued you. in the moment that you and I recognize what he's up to that he loved us enough to pursue the relationship and the moment you and I say yes to him and place our faith in him what happens the Bible says we move from death to life that should have got a better amen than that we move from being a enemy of God to a son or a daughter of God hallelujah praise God and so Turn to your neighbor and say, I am a daughter or a son of God. If you've you've accepted Christ, that's you this morning. And so because you're now in the family of God, how many of you know there are benefits to being a part of a family? I love my kids. Can't tell I love my kids. I'm proud of my boys. Proud of Tyler. He was up here today just pouring his heart out to you in passion. The gospel, basically, right? And we'll do anything for our kids, right? I mean, we'll go to link, great lengths to, to do something for our kids. My oldest son Garrett is in Alabama, at Church of the Highlands. He's in the he's learning to be a worship leader. And so this weekend they've asked him they asked him to lead uh, uh, some a song in their Easter service. He's on the worship team. So Lori and I took we tracked over to Birmingham yesterday. Took Tyler with us and one of his friends Parker and we and Amber went with us and we went to see him. Now, how many parents would do all that? We were on the road almost, probably around five, five and a half hours yesterday. Why? Because I love my kid. I want to do good things for my kid. So when you're in the family of God, you can rest assured God has good in store for you. You're his kid. And there are benefits to being a part of the family of God. As a matter of fact, 1 John 3 gives us a good picture of this. See what great love the Father has lavished. When you think of something lavish, what do you think of? Not a little bit, right? We're talking huge. We're talking abundant love. Not just a little bit. When you lavish something on somebody, you're going to throw the world at them, ain't you? And that's the kind of love God has for you. He lavished his love on us. And here's what he says. Look at this. That we should be what? Called the children of God. Hallelujah. Look at this. And that is what we are. In other words, let me just drive the point on home again. Are we children of God? Yes. Oh, by the way, did I mention we're children of God? That is what we are. It's definite. Your identity is sealed. The moment you accept Christ as your Savior, you're His. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Listen, you can't expect people outside the faith to get what what we get today. We know Him. That's why I didn't understand the love of God. But I'm here to tell you, there are benefits to it. Here's, Here's a benefit. Love conquers all fear. Anybody ever been afraid? Maybe you're walking in fear right now. You know the remedy for fear? Love. 1 John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who is fear is not made perfect in love. In other words, you keep reminding yourself, oh, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and so I'm afraid God's judging me. No, he took that judgment on the cross. The punishment he took was for you, and now you can walk. Now, listen, I, I understand. God, he's a good God. He's a father, so he'll discipline you from time to time, right? And sometimes that discipline's not very fun. But if he didn't discipline you, would he be a good father? No, he wouldn't. When I look around, I see people. The best place to watch and see if, you're, if there's some good parents or bad parents is to go to Walmart. Right? Just watch. Just, just people watch. Anybody people watch? I do. So you see little Johnny over in the toy aisle and toy aisle, he's not getting his way, and boy, he's on the he's on the ground. Now, Johnny, if you just be quiet, I'll buy you that toy, Johnny. And he's screaming at the top of his life. You realize who's in control of this situation? That blows my mind how a three-year-old under four foot tall controls the situation listen here parents you're the adult that won't cost you anything right now listen I have my own story Um, I have my own Walmart story as a matter of fact actually Lori has the story not me Garrett my oldest son just bragging on him a few minutes ago but he and I always been the same okay so he's, we're in Walmart one day, and he, he starts pitching a fit. I mean, he's throwing a tantrum. I mean, literally. And, you know, Lori had to say, let me just leave my buggy right here. I'll be back. And Lori's dad was, was with her, so you know how grandpas are. No, no, no. Lori's like, nope. And he ain't getting away with this. So he was disciplined. God will discipline you as his child. But it's for your own good. He loves you that much. So there's no fear of punishment, but you can rest assured God's got your back. Amen? The other other benefit is that your motivation for, for obedience changes. Now, there might be some people in this room. I don't know how you, some of you may not be very familiar with Christianity. Maybe you're still searching. I don't know. And maybe your, your perspective on Christianity has been pretty bad because you, you've been taught or you felt like it was nothing but following a bunch of set of rules, right? Well, i got to do this and this and I can't do this and this and this and, and you're just turned off by it. Can I, anybody identify? What if the perspective changed? And your obedience wasn't out of, of fear or out of feeling like somebody's going to get out to get you, but you did it because you love God. You did it out of relationship. You don't have to, you get to. Does that change the whole perspective? And you you see even the difference between the Old and New Testament, where it seemed like in the Old Testament, that's what happened. You're falling on this long set of risks, and you never can measure up. But God comes along and says, Jesus comes along and says, If you love me, here's here's what it looks like you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and his strength, and your neighbors, yourself. It'll take care of all the obedience it's a heart issue. So the benefit is I get to obey God. I get to walk in fellowship with Him. And because I obey, there, God promises to bless when we obey. Amen? It's in His Word. So obedience becomes a reality out of relationship, not regulation. So as we're moving along, as in this idea of God loving us, pursuing us. Now he's our father. We move from death to life. Then we begin to think and act like our daddy. Anybody respect their dad in here? Some of you may, may you do not. Maybe your dad was terrible. Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe he was mean to you. Maybe he abused you. and you, It's hard for you. But those of you that had a great dad, can you, can you picture him and, want, and, be, and being, want to be like him? I wanted to be like my dad. I, had a, I, I was so blessed to have a great father. A great example. And I wanted to be like him. I wanted to think like him. Because when I think like him, what happens? I begin to behave like him. So the scripture gives me a clear picture of how Christ thought, how my heavenly father thinks. And I want to, let's go to there, Philippians chapter 2. I want you to see this. Because when I think like my daddy, I begin to act like him. Amen? So, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. There it is. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So what's the thinking like? It's countercultural, folks. If you want to think like you're God, you need to think like a, in a humble way. Let's think like a servant, like we're going to serve people. We're going to forget about me, 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 right? And we're going to say, you know what? I value you. I look at you as a person created in the image of God. How can I serve you? When we do this, we begin to look a lot like our Father. We walk in humility. Picture this, the God of heaven. Enthroned in worship 24-7 says, you know what? I'm going to step away from that, and I'm going I'm to be born in a barn. I'm going to be surrounded by smelly, stinky animals. I'm going to be, my, my birth is going to be proclaimed by shepherds. It's pretty lowly, huh? I'm going to walk through my life as a carpenter's son. He paved the way for you and I to walk out our existence, our life, as servants in humility. Giving of ourselves is the most Christ-like thing that we can do. Loving others enough to serve them is Christ-like. We're walking in this humility... But here's the neat thing about it. What did it say after it says he humbled himself on the cross? What happened after that? The Bible says that God exalted him and gave him a name above every name. Listen, when you serve people, when you humble yourself before God, what happened? God raises you up. So you, we're all thinking, well, you know, I want, I want greatness in my life. I want purpose in my life. And many of us have the wrong conception of that. Well, I just need to step on somebody. I just need to, maybe if I meet this person and try to connive my way, I'll get to the top. No, God says your way to the top is service. I've seen it happen. I've seen people go into a business and they, and they serve faithfully. They're, they're there on time. They do their work. They work hard. And then what happens? God says, <laughs> exalts them. Anybody been there? Why? Because the way to greatness is humility. Jesus always paves the way. He's always the example of where you want to go. As we finish this up, being fully alive looks like love and humility. But none of it is possible without the empty tomb. Christ's resurrection was necessary for you to be fully alive in Christ. It sealed it. The moment the stone rolled away and he walked away, I'm telling you, you, you the possibility, the potential that you be fully alive in Christ was made free there. It was made possible. Amen? Amen. Now, that's, that's big. As a matter of fact, Paul even went even further and said, if Christ is not raised from the dead, we're all in trouble. We're all still sinners. 1 Corinthians 15, let's read it. They'll put that up there. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is vain. In other words, we have gathered today, and it's been a waste of time if Christ didn't walk out of the tomb. Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Only, if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Look at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Hallelujah. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Did I mention Christ always leads the way? First one to walk out of the tomb. Amen. One day, the people that you know, who've gone on before you, who are in Christ, they're coming out of the tomb. If God tarries enough, you'll die. And one day, you'll come out of the tomb. Amen. But he had to do it first. So the, 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 the empty tomb is not just about a man walking out of a grave. Are you hearing me this morning? No. No. The empty tomb means life for you and I. Look at verse 21. or verse 20, uh, Yeah, 21. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Look at verse 22. For as in Adam all die, in other words, his, obedience, his disobedience, his sin, you're dead. But look at this. So, what does it say? Say it out loud. In Christ, all will be made alive. Hallelujah. Listen, you want to pass from death to life? You want to walk fully alive in Christ? You want your finances to work? You want your relationships to work? You want your health to work? You want your life to work in general? Be in Christ. Get in Christ. You'll be fully alive. Hallelujah. So as we close it out, here's some benefits. First of all, your relationships can be great. There's some people in this room, you're like, Pastor, I don't see how it could happen. I'm telling you, if you'll get in Christ, if you'll make him the Lord of your life, Your relationships will not only work, they will flourish. Because a dead relationship with Christ in the middle comes alive. Amen. What's the key? In Christ. What's the key? In Christ. Dead, alive. Dead, alive. Are you following me this morning? You're wringing your hands. I have no idea what to do. My bills are pack, uh, piling up. I got these decisions I got to make. Guess what? In Christ, there's a, a treasure trove of wisdom. So today, if you're, you need to stop fretting over that decision you're about to have to make. Stop fretting. Take it to Him. Because in Christ are the the full riches of wisdom and knowledge. Death, life. You see the difference? In Christ, you were captive. I mean, before Christ, you were captive. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Satan had you bound in chains. But after Christ, freedom. Anybody free this morning? You have broken every chain. Hallelujah. There is salvation in the name of Jesus. He breaks chains. The scripture tells us whom the Son sets free is free indeed. In Christ. Pastor, you don't understand. I, my life is just so mundane. I'm just, I'm just surviving. You don't have to be that way. Because in life it's full purpose. In Christ, there's full purpose. Get in Christ. Get fully alive. I guarantee you, he'll start showing you. Here's what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could even dream up. That's our God this morning. Purpose. From death to life. Identity. We've already talked about that. You went from being an enemy of God to a son or a daughter. Death to life. Financially. How many of you believe God wants you blessed financially? In Christ. You know what happens? You do things God's way. You follow His principles in His word. You you obey Him out of love. What happens? Things begin to work. Your finances begin to work. Oh, wow. If I'll save a little bit. If I'll give to the church, if I'll I'll give to Christ's kingdom, he'll bless me. And I guarantee you there's more to give. Why? Because I'm in Christ. My health. Isaiah 53 gives us a clear picture, right? He was wounded for our transgressions. Bruise for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was on Him. And by His stripes, we are healed. From death to life. Your life can be abundant. It can be full. As a matter of fact, John ten ten 10 tells us Doesn't it? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life. Not an existence. Life. And have it to the full. The last benefit from being in Christ, being fully alive in Him, is eternal life. This life isn't it, folks. Aren't you glad for that? There's a future beyond the grave. It's called eternal life. Jesus declared it very plainly in John 17, 3. He said, let me show you what real life looks like, what being fully alive, what eternal life looks like. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you. This is Christ talking, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What does eternal life look like? It looks like relationship. That word no, in the Greek, it's called gnosko. It's a very intimate, close fellowship. It's a very relational term. As a matter of fact, it's described in the Bible, it's a relationship to a husband and wife, between a husband and a wife. That's as far as I'm going to go. You understand this? The closeness and the intimacy, the, the, the possibility of knowing your God that closely is available to you today. That's what eternal life looks like. That's why He went to the cross. That's why He's the originator and the source and the initiator of love. Because He, he wants to have that kind of relationship with you. He wants you to know Him. Fully alive. In Christ. One last verse. And then we're closing. Matthew 27, verse 22. This is Jesus before Pilate. Notice what Pilate says. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Now he asked the question to the wrong people, right? Their response was crucify him. But I want to take that and I want to ask you the same question. I presented to you that Christ loves you, pursues you today. That he wants to be your father. He wants to be a a daddy to you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to know him intimately. He wants you to think and act like him. He wants you to obey him out of relationship. So my question is, what will you do with Christ? This is a question nobody can answer but you. And every every person under the sound of my voice, you need to answer it. You may not answer it fully today, but you need to answer it. Because one day you're going to stand before him. And based on how you answer that question, I would rather do it here. Wouldn't you? Would you stand this morning? He loves you this much. Christ commended his love toward us. In that while we were still sinners. Christ died. Thank you Lord. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. What will you do. With this message today. What will you do with Jesus. Because I know him. He's waiting with arms. Out wide. Stretched out. To embrace you and love on you. To become your father if you'll let him. And it's real simple. Scriptures tell us in Romans 10.9 that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ has been raised from the dead, we'll be saved. Plain and simple. What will you do with Christ this morning? If you've never... Ask yourself that question, and maybe you've never come to a rela- into a relationship with him. Today's a good day to do that. So I'm going to ask you, is there anybody in this room who said, Pastor, I've never done that. I've never accepted Christ. I've never, I'm not in relationship with him. I, I don't know him, but I want to. If you'll just lift your hand real quick. I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. I just want to know. I want to pray with you. Is there anybody in this room who says, Pastor, I need Jesus? I don't know him. Okay. Is there anybody who would say, Pastor, I've wandered. I'm, I, I'm backslid. I, I need to come back to him. I've been, been doing my own thing. I've been walking my own way. Is, that, is anybody here who would say that, Pastor? I need, I need him. I need to come back. I'm like the prodigal. I need to come back. Real quick. Thank you for that hand. It's just a step back. That's all it is. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So here's what I want to do. I want us to pray a prayer together right now. Everybody in the room pray it, would you? Father, I confess I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for walking out of the tomb to bring life to me. Now I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to cleanse me, make me like you. I want to be in relationship with you. Be my heavenly father. Be my loving Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you pray that prayer for the first time, listen, the Bible says you're in Christ. What's, what's happened? In that moment, what happened? You passed from death unto life. Is that something to celebrate this morning?